Have you ever wondered how your sales performance compares against your competitors and peers? The B2B Sales Benchmark Report provides the definitive guide to what success looks like in 2021. See how you compare in terms of win rate, sales cycle, average deal value, relationships, and engagement. You can see the results and get the full report at ebster.com forward slash B2B dash sales dash benchmarks. This is Sales Ops Demystified, the number one most downloaded podcast in sales operations. We invite the brightest minds in sales operations onto the show to deconstruct the why, what, and how behind rep productivity, forecasting, metrics, and all things revenue. This podcast is brought to you by Ebster, the leading customer engagement platform for Salesforce. Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of Sales Ops Demystified and I am enthralled to welcome probably the most esteemed and experienced sales operations ninja that we've had on the podcast. Um, Jeff, thank you so much for your time. Tom, thank you for having me. I'll take esteemed. I think it's great. <laughs> you know, been around for a while too, but but I, I that hopefully means I have a lot of wisdom to help impart. Yeah. yeah. So so what I'm going to do um, is I'm going to ask our listeners to Google Jeff Serlin, uh, LinkedIn, and then just have a look at Jeff's Jeff's background. Because um, what I thought was really really awesome is if Jeff has a Massive, massive experience, but Jeff worked at two. Would you call them startups, Jeff? Those those two companies that got acquired. Uh, they definitely were, yes. Cool. So, so Jeff has spent a number of years at startups in a sales operations role or sales op- operations related role um, that both got acquired by massive businesses, IBM and Oracle. Um, he's currently the global director of sales operations. Uh, I am the global head of both sales and support operations. Sales and support. I have a team of close to 25 folks right now. So we are, our mandate is is a little bit bigger than some typical teams. But yes, it is that yeah. global head of operations. At Intercom. We haven't mentioned that yet. <laughs> this fantastic messaging business. Um, so we're going to go through standard questions. We, we, we might divert slightly. I'll, I'll try and keep us aligned, but I think there's going to be a wealth of knowledge for everybody here. Um, so I want to kick off, Jeff, with our first question we, that we start every podcast slash webinar with, which is, yeah. how did you get into sales operations? Um, that's a good question. I actually took a couple notes because I have to kind of find <laughs> myself on that path. I did not go to school for it. I did not apply for the jobs. It just kind of happened. My first role out of school, I was an industrial engineer, was working for General Motors. But my first job was basically a new group, a new team, and they pointed to a problem and they said, go fix this. It was me and a manager, and we figured out how to fix this thing. And the details aren't important, but we had to apply some creativity and innovation. We had to bring some data analytic and and kind of data competencies to some various engineering teams. We had to pull stakeholders together to get them agree on what that big 
global optimization was as opposed to a whole bunch of folks doing things at the local level that maybe didn't end up building a really good well-built car. So we drove a lot of change. And in many ways, um, I described that first job as just fixing something, making something better, which is how I describe what operations is. I ended up going to, sorry. Yeah, I just said it interesting. I'm just the general comment, continue. Yeah, it was, uh, you know, looking back, even though it was automotive, it was still, I think, operations. Um, I went back to school. I joined a consulting firm, did supply chain procurement consulting. Consulting was not for me for a number of reasons. And then I made my way out to Silicon Valley almost 18 or 19 years ago. My first role was biz dev. I was doing partnerships with folks. Uh, I was a product manager. I was a solution consultant and built that team. And there was not a thing called sales operations back then. And I was the person that said, well, geez, shouldn't we manage our pipeline somewhere? So I started with an Excel spreadsheet and just did Mm. that. I was the one that said, we can be a little repeatable on on our sales processes and how we do demos. And I just started writing some flow charts and some stages and figure out how we should execute deals. Uh, we bought uh, at one of these companies um, before the ones that were acquired, which actually ended up going public a couple of years after I left, uh, Salesforce.com and I think 2003 or 2004. And I'm like, hell, I'll go in and I'll start configuring it and getting people to put their data in there and created these wonderful dashboards and views and processes and reports. And the reality up for many, many years is I was doing operations on the side just because I felt it needed to be done and no one else was doing it. And it was something I enjoyed doing um, without it being an official job. Uh, the company you referred to called Rolling 8 Software that was acquired by Oracle, I was introduced through some mutual friends to their CRO, who was also an industrial engineer, worked in industry, made his way over to, to Silicon Valley and, and SaaS and software sales and had a stellar career. Um, very much built like me is sales it should be a process and a science as much as it should be an art. And he said, why don't you come work for me and do this full time? Um, so that was the first time I was officially you know, called head of sales operations. I was a team so, when I began. So if I should jump in, but would the, like the, the job sales operations, was that actually a thing then? Like was that on the job description? Were other people hiring for that role? Very, very, very few, if any. In fact, I don't even think he knew that it was called sales operations. We we met for lunch and he described all the things he would like this role to do. Um, and I said, yeah, I've been doing a lot of that. It sounds really interesting. Um, and it involved a wide breadth of things that, that sometimes do and sometimes don't now fall under sales operations. He was looking more for, um, you know, I, chief of staff, a partner, a thought leader, as someone that could watch the business when he was traveling, someone you can interact with finance and marketing and our partners um, and make sure that we're driving the right program, someone who can go in and run the QBRs with their reps if needed, someone who can manage the software and the CRM, do a little bit of enablement. So he was looking for all of that as opposed to, I need someone to manage CRM. Yeah. And it just was a great fit. So I, I did that with him. Uh, we sold, he actually became the CEO of that next company that got acquired by IBM. And, I was the first person he brought over. He basically sent me a laptop and said, you have no choice but to come join me. <laughs> and I reported directly to him as opposed to in the sales folks. Um, so we looked at the role again as a very important kind of operational chief of staff, help make the go-to-market side run and run efficiently and get to our numbers sort of role. Um, you know, and then from there, the uh, 
it started, I think, at that point of time, people specifically hiring for this, hiring earlier, knowing that even a 20, 30, 40% company that's really trying to accelerate go-to-market can use that sort of skill set. Um, and it just kind of all hit with some great timing and with the experience and skills that I had uh, to set me up with a good breadth of experience. And you know, from there, I joined Marketo and eventually made my way over to Intercom. I've actually, I, I looked here kind of the companies I've either done you know, ran or started the sales ops function at seven companies. Out here oh, wow. For those years. So <laughs> I wish I it's been your... that many. I, I recount it, but, but it is seven. Mm, which has been your favorite. It might be like choosing between children. <laughs> you know, uh, it, I don't know that I can say my favorite. What I, I do believe is um, every single one of them is different. Every company has at a different stage of growth has different um, priorities have different things that need to be built and evolved and fixed and addressed. So they're all a little bit different. So it's hard to make apples to apples comparison. Every single one of them has been so valuable in, in what I've learned. And even in Intercom, I'm doing some things that I haven't done before, done a lot before, and I'm still learning and you know adding to my toolkit of experiences that will help me both here and, and in the future. I would say being at Marketo, you know, pre-IPO, going through the IPO and seeing it really scale and get big, um, you know, was just entirely and completely awesome. But my last 18 months in Intercom have, have been equally as awesome, mm -hmm. um, not only with the company, but being a little bit more, um, you know, product led. I've learned a lot of new skills and ways of thinking about even what I do and transferring some of those methodologies over uh, to my team here. So I would say right now the Intercom, um, you know, and Marketo are, are the two that I'll probably look back at and, and be most proud of. Mm -hmm. So I got two company names. I didn't think I was going to get them out of you there, Jeff. <laughs> Intercom and Marketo. Okay. Yeah. Um, so from those creating seven sales operations departments, you must have a pretty good idea of what makes a good sales operations person because you've seen yourself go through that process, but yeah. you've also hired a significant number. I, I believe your team size at the moment is, is 25 in sales operations at Intercom. Uh, just about, yeah. Cool. So what do you think makes an awesome sales operations person. Yeah, um, let me start by by sales operations, which can mean a lot of things. I currently have what you would call traditional sales ops, the planning, the forecasting, the process, the methodology. I also have enablement under me. I also have a systems team under me. Mm -hmm. um, and I also have the folks under me that manage our internal use of our own product intercom because it's a, a piece of software that yeah, uh, we heavily use in everything and we need to, to in a sense manage it like we are a customer and, yeah. and that deployment. So to me, sales ops is a very broad category, including strategy function under me. Um, what makes a good sales operations person uh, are a couple of things. One is you have to be solution oriented. And I talked about when you asked how I came through here, my first job was solving a problem. And most of what we do is solving a problem, big ones, small ones, long-term ones, short-term ones, and just making things better. Um, and in doing that, we have to have that ability to live with some ambiguity. We have to know that there isn't an easy answer in front of us. Let's just work the problem, solve it, and then let's add a whole bunch of creativity. So I think creativity and innovation, we are not just working in spreadsheets. I think we've earned the right to be very creative, to push new ideas and new things, to think outside of the box and try and experiment things that maybe haven't been done before, done in the way that we want to do it. So I'm um, solution oriented a lot of creativity and innovation. We have to have empathy. 
we are an internal service organization. We have internal stakeholders. We have to understand why reducing the number of clicks for reps is important. We have to understand why getting timely and accurate data for the executives is important. So we have to have empathy for the folks <clears throat> that are doing all of these processes and interacting with solutions globally at scale uh, and, and you know, literally in the hundreds of thousands of times over the course of the year in repeatable, scalable activities. Um, that also means that we have to be great at prioritizing. You know, our roadmap list and intake has hundreds and hundreds of items, and they're all legit. You know, you can make a case that everyone's important, but we have to be able to go through a process of prioritizing the ones that we're going to spend our capacity on. That's the only way we can get to be proactive and really solve the long-term things. Um, and then I think along with prioritization is great stakeholder management. Um, making sure we keep our ears to the ground, that we understand, you know, what the ICs in the field, what, what their experience and needs are, understand the priorities of managers and execs and leaders, both within and outside of sales ops and with our partner organizations and manage their expectations so that we can protect capacity, we can work on projects and get them finished. We can, you know, declare that certain things we're not gonna work on now because they're not the priorities. Um, and I think wrapping all of that in is is a good amount of thick skin because we see the problems and mm -hmm. all the problems. You can get a, go down that that kind of uh, rabbit hole real quick if everything's broken, and it's not. But there's always things that are broken, and they're always going to come to us. Uh, and a lot of times, it's very impactful to the people that bring it. So there's sometimes emotion and you know crises, and sky is falling down, and we have to not associate that with us being responsible for them being broken, but we have to associate that with us being the ones that people come to because they know we will fix it and and working to fix this as opposed to um you know kind of getting a psyche that 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 were the reason why things aren't great so there's there's an element of i think thick skin and resilience mm -hmm. that need it and the last one i'll say and this goes back to my first comment well-rounded sales ops does not equal you know salesforce.com administration sales ops does not equal just being able to build planning spreadsheets sales ops does just not equal um, you know, some process design or forecasting. You might specialize in certain things, but the more rounded any sales ops individual can be of learning, at least to the point of, of being able to articulate and understand what the rest of those things are and how they have to interact and integrate with them to be successful, I think is a really important um, skill that, that I think isn't necessarily being developed to the extent today, now that there's a lot of specialization as it was, say, mm -hmm. 10 years Oh, I think there's seven points there. I was trying to memorize them all, but I'm, I'm going to go for it. It's prioritization, thick skin, solution orientated, creative, uh, creative, well-rounded, empathy. There's quite a lot there, Jeff. Okay, cool. I think what we're going to do is we're going to we're going to write those seven things out. And we'll put them in a text below this video. We'll also probably tweet out. There's a few quotes in there. I like when you were saying that how sales operations is not just building spreadsheets and it does seem like from what i've experienced by speaking with now 10 different sales ops thought leaders so there's really a lot more to the role than i initially thought my background if you didn't know jeff was in was really in marketing um yeah. and so i haven't i don't have much experience or exposure to sales operations people um which is why this podcast has been such an interesting journey um and a question that has that always divide what doesn't divide it's a super interesting question we ask everybody is the necessity for having experience in sales to go into sales ops. Um, we ha we've had people that have had 10 years of sales experience and are now managing a, a sales team 
and are doing the operations. We have people who have come straight into sales operations teams with zero sales experience. And we also get a super interesting answer to this question. I'd like to hear your thoughts. Yeah, um, I'm going to say not necessarily. I can tell you from my own experience, um, building and running a solution consulting team and being in sales cycles from beginning to end, on-site negotiations, uh, et cetera, et cetera, has helped me a ton because at the end of the day, we have to understand what the job of selling is, not year by year, quarter to quarter, but month to month, day by day, even hour by hour. And I think if you're not necessarily in there and understand the dynamics of negotiation, mm -hmm. it's hard to maybe create or advise in a pricing model or the right strategies um, or the right place to get that done. So I think it is incredibly, incredibly helpful if you do come um, with some level of sales experience. It doesn't need to be a lot, but a little bit does help. But there are certain roles that it's okay to not have it. You know, systems, for example, I hire a lot of folks who are engineers, uh, who are product owners and, and have a lot of background in product management. Um, and that's okay. Some of the planning reporting folks I have come from banking. So they oh, have really this nice. set. Yeah, they, you know, they're, they're great in, in the modeling and understanding uh, how that works and understanding financial statements. So they're great partners in working with them. Um, so I don't think it's necessary. I think it's incredibly helpful. But if you don't come from a sales background, you have to love sales. You have to love the action. Mm. You have to love getting to a number. You have to love the ups and downs. You have to want to get up on the sales floor and, and clap and share on your colleagues when we close big deals. Um, so you have to have some of that orientation and build it. Um, otherwise, I, I think it it may not be best fit to necessarily be in sales ops as opposed to some other roles. So it's helpful. I think it's great if you have it. It's not necessary for certain roles, but you have to learn how to become and think. Mm. You, know, you have to stuff. have the passion for the deal. Totally. <laughs> I think that's, that's a really good idea. Their number, period. Yeah. You know, and, so. so so what number does the sales operations team at Intercom have? Um, I carry the whole global number. I have uh, a, cool. a large account plan. Uh, yeah. My quota is the same as the rest of the sales executives here. Uh, mm -hmm. And it is a leveraged plan. It's not like 5% of the plan. Um, all of my managers and above also have uh, an element of variable compensation, which is also tied to that global number. Cool. So... There's you as the the global director of sales operations yep. has you you carry the total that total revenue number. Right. Okay, and I'm also assuming that the the VP of sales also has that number as well. They do. Yep. This is super interesting because I'm not sure if we've had that before. Just write yep. that down. Um, okay, cool. Shifting away from that, um, current sales operations technology stack yeah uh again i wrote down a little bit of a list i don't know that i'm going to throw out a whole bunch of names mm. um but i'm asked this a lot and i think the first thing I'll, I'll i'll reinforce again is that our job is to solve the problem and fall in love with the problem and not necessarily the solution and i lifted that quote from our chief operating officer who said mm -hmm. it at a staff conference you know fall yeah. in love with the problem not the solution Technology in many cases is the solution, but you can't start there. You've got to start with defining what that problem is and what your outcomes are. Um, and I think that's very hard for many of us 
in this role. We see all these great, cool, awesome things and see a vision of how it might work. Uh, but we've got to set our priorities and roadmap. Having said that, you certainly need CRM. Uh, acceleration, you know, outreach, sales loft, those sort of tools, I think are just absolutely critical and everybody needs one to, to efficiently move leads through the middle of the funnel. Um, yeah. You do need some reporting and forecasting. And it could be a, a custom database with, with um, you know, Tableau or such and with some good data analysts, or you can buy a series of kind of purpose-built package solutions. Either one works depending on what you need it for. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's reporting and forecasting. I'm going to throw intercom out there. Uh-huh. <laughs> no, it is. It is. I know it, it is a great tool to help manage leads through that process. And more and more, we see people adopting adopting those sort of chat messaging tools. Um, yeah. So, so, so sorry, just to jump in there. I find it yeah. interesting. So let's say I'm a lead. Um, yeah. I've engaged with your sales team, but then I come to the intercom site and I start chatting with that same yeah. sales rep on intercom. Yeah. I'm assuming I'm going to be, I'll obviously have an account in intercom. I'm assuming you're also thinking to Salesforce. So, you you will not have an account in intercom. You don't need an account in intercom to utilize the chat for people that are using it. True, but if I've given you my email address, I, 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 I'll be a, a rep, like I'll, I'll be contained in intercom, right? Yeah, you will be in our in our solution, but mm-hmm. you don't need to get an account. In yeah. fact, you can come to our yeah. website and not give us your your email address. We'll initiate it and talk to a sales rep. I, I understood, but for for you guys internally, yeah. so then I'm going to be interacting with that salesperson through Intercom, but I'll also I presumably have a record in your Salesforce org, right? Yes, cool. Uh, Absolutely. And so. I can have the interaction, the deal can essentially be closed and then updated in Salesforce. Uh, no, we, we do, um, those those systems are integrated. So the data mm-hmm. does flow back and forth. Uh, let's take this scenario in which uh, you came in via a, a campaign and your name is in our CRM Salesforce and the sales rep is working with you. And then you may have came to the website as well and you chatted in. Uh, we know that you were working with your ABM technology, that specific rep, so it gets routed to that person's inbox. And to yeah. them, when they look at Intercom, it's, it's like looking at an inbox as you would in, in mail or other things, and they can yeah. start in that conversation. And then it all gets recorded together in CRM, you know, just like phone calls and other things do in there as, as a channel of that communication. So it all does roll up to that to that uh, account person and opportunity record in Salesforce. Yeah, and let's do a big shout out to Intercom actually. I've, um, I'm not sure if you're still running this, but you did have a startup plan where, where you got a some level of discount, uh, but you have to apply for it, right? Uh, we do, we still have it. It's called the Early Stage Program and, yeah. and basically you know, newly com- founded companies that have below a threshold of revenue or funding or, or years of, uh, you know, since they were founded that can use mm-hmm. Um, a lot of intercom for that early stage introductory price against, you know, certain time thresholds and usage thresholds. Yes. A ton of folks come in there and it helps them get started. And Yeah. Extremely powerful, like uh, such a sweet product. So highly recommend anyone regardless of whether you're early stage. Um, Cool. Okay. So sorry, we got a sidetrack there. Um, We're just talking about the tech stack and then we mentioned intercom and then I jumped in, but I'll, I'll hand back over to you. Yeah, I, I think just to round it off, there's a whole bunch of things, and I wrote the word here, foundational. Depending on where you are in your stage of growth in your programs, you may need lead discovery and enrichment. You may need, may need lead routing. You may need um, you know, activity integration, so it automatically logs into Salesforce. 
you may need some better data entry or calendaring. So there's a whole bunch of tools and solutions out there that I think you consume depending on where you are with your size, your scale, your growth objectives, um, and even the type of sales motions you have, whether you're high velocity or you know much larger enterprise. So I think there's the core ones that I mentioned, and then there's a whole slew of the foundational ones mm-hmm. uh, that you may need to deploy over time. And actually, um, decommission over time too as you start to continue to evolve. Should always align your stack to where you are now and what you need in the future. Nice. And uh, consolidate and rationalize and refresh. Cool. Um, okay, just a couple of questions. I actually think we're going to be going through this anyway. Uh, yeah. Thank you, Josh. So, yeah. Uh, cool. Um, so, again, like I, I noticed that you kind of moved away from mentioning specific tools in that because you're giving more of a, an overview and you understand yeah. that different people at different times are going to need different tools. But is there a tool that you have used previously or that you're currently using that you think is like, crucial yeah i uh, i do i think uh you know uh, an outreach or sales loft is 100 percent crucial i mm-hmm. think some other ones that are in that foundational category um lean data is a great product which helps efficiently route leads and and match people to the records so that you have better hygiene and, and faster response times getting it to the right folks um clary we do use which is one of those purpose-built forecasting tools which uh, allows a roll-up forecast to be submitted by reps all the way up to me uh, in that tool. And that drives the transparency, but it also drives a ton of accountability from top to bottom, mm-hmm. um, which is a big, big part of that. There's other benefits that it provides to you, but that forecast accountability and, and, and method is awesome. There's a company called Coda, which we just started using organically, and now we kind of use it as our kind of, I don't know, program management. Um, you know, Canvas to, to manage our roadmap. Uh, it's got internet functionalities. It's got collaboration functionalities. We have a process that we're rolling out where for the intake of things that people want us to do on the roadmap, they fill out a form and it integrates in the code and puts it on this beautiful line in a spreadsheet with the status of, of you know, not looked at. And then we, we take a look at it. We move it to a roadmap or we move it somewhere else or we consolidate it and it manages all that. Um, and that's, I think, just a great productivity tool that the more I use it, the more I find all of these awesome things that are are in it. Um, and and uh, I think those are the ones that I would say. Now, if you asked me in six months, it might be a difference. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, awesome. Um, you did mention data quality when you were talking about one of those tools, but how yeah. are you guys currently managing the data quality in CRM and who in your team is kind of responsible for that? Yeah. Um, data quality is, I think, the single biggest pain and hardest thing to do anywhere. And it's no different in all of those companies that I mentioned I've worked with before. It, it's just a beast to manage. Um, and I would love to even hear best practices from what other people have had. I, mm-hmm. I've taken a position where I've locked the system down very tightly so nobody can really create accounts or contacts or leads. And that helps to keep it clean. And then I've had open systems too. And I don't know what the right answer is, to be honest. I think somewhere in the middle, um, you know, you need to keep the business flowing and, and those things happening. My team ultimately owns the CRM and, and we own most of the data quality uh, in conjunction with Marketing Ops, who actually puts a lot of things in the database. We jointly work together on the kind of mass aggregate enrichment tools and the mm-hmm. cycle and the cadences for doing those, and also the rules for when we put new things in there of what it should do and what it should trigger. Uh, my team puts together 
And this is something we're actually going to be working on a lot more this year, the rules of how we should create, what fields are mandatory, uh, which ones we don't need to worry about. So let's not even ask for them and get better data quality mm -hmm. rules around naming conventions and the hierarchies and all of those things. So ultimately, my team drives it. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, I would maybe take two minutes. Uh, there's a, a thing that when I was consulting, not in sales ops, we created a methodology called DIRT. And we were deploying big ERP advanced planning systems at, at big semiconductor companies. And that stands for Data Integrity Response Team. Mm -hmm. And I used a little bit of that. I haven't launched that at Intercom yet, but really that's the data governance. And I think data quality only gets there is maintained with governance. And that's having all the stakeholders who are responsible for putting data into the system, but also keeping it clean so that you can align on definitions, what fields we use, the process, what rules we have. And it also includes then the documentation of how we want it to be managed. It involves the enablement um, and management uh, of the rules of engagement so that once it's clean, we make sure it's clean. It involves jointly identifying areas that we might want to jump into and fix. And so you can run a bunch of mini projects. I think that by putting it into a little bit more of a stairco or a more formal framework, because understanding how important it is, and it truly is so important for everything that you do and go to market, um, that you treat it like it's a real project, like you're implementing CPQ, mm -hmm. and then you just start to get a handle on it. So I think it, it's governance, it's data model, it's documentation, it's definition, it's ROE, and then it's forcing those and controlling those through enablement and other things that you can do in the system and management oversight. Mm -hmm. So that would almost be like a separate project team within your sales operations team? It, it would involve several people on my team. Um, and I would appoint, and again, I haven't implemented that here yet, someone to be basically the chair of the lead person from my team. Cool. Yeah. I, and you think that person would be you or that person would be someone else? Someone that works for me. Cool. Okay. Um, and so I mentioned this, the biggest challenge that you're currently experiencing in your role. Yeah. Intercom, uh, when it was founded, was 100% uh, self-service business, meaning customers came online and they went through a purchase flow. And they're all month. There was no contract and no negotiations. And it's still phenomenally um, important and great part of our business. Uh, and Intercom got really big doing that. And then came a direct sales team and performance demand gen marketing. And it's been here for about three years or so, uh, maybe a little bit longer. Um, so the biggest challenge here is all of the systems and processes and methodologies were designed for a world which was that kind of online purchase flow, self-serve, no sales model. So redoing in some cases and shoring up those foundations so it works mm -hmm. when a person is selling to a person, when it's a multi-year contract, when it's negotiated, um, when someone's not going through that online model is I think the biggest challenge um, of, of, of evolving all of the go-to-market systems and processes and ways of doing business on top mm -hmm. of the very successful business that we don't want to harm in any way. Um, but, you know, where there's challenge to me is where there's fun. I like to be a builder we talked about a little bit before when we were prepping and this involves a lot of building and a lot of change and a lot of uh, innovation and new things that we're driving into the business but almost everything that we're doing is a is revolving around um you know bringing the business up to be able to handle as efficiently sales-led deals uh, as we currently do with with uh, the self-service online purchase flows yeah so I, I just want to dig a little bit deeper into that so you said about three years ago that intercom ramped up their kind of direct sales team um yeah more or less cool and, and 
you joined just over a year ago, a year and a half. Cool. Cool. When you joined, how many people were in sales operations, if any? When I joined, there were, uh, I want to say, five or six. Cool. Okay. Um, and then ha- and how many sales resources? Uh, in total, I want to say uh, 60-ish, 50 to 60. Okay, cool. And I assume that scaled pretty heavily now. Um, it did. I mean, at five or six now with all the responsibilities that I have, mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know, has gotten to that mid-20s with, with the things that I talked to you about before. Uh, yeah. And then, you know, our, our, you know, sales organization in total is well over 100 now. Yeah, yeah. So I can only imagine the stresses that that's going to put on the system, especially when the system was not initially or the systems were not initially designed for that outbound model. Um <laughs> Yeah, not not designed for a model of which people are involved in the selling motions. I, I think it's yeah. how they would define it. You know, we get it done and we built a lot of automation and we fixed a lot of it up, um, but there's still a long way to go. Yeah, sure. Awesome. I think there might be someone waiting behind you to get into the room. Uh, I have the room, so I'll go <laughs> Okay, that's fine. Um, cool. Yeah. Just a so kind of running stuff out now. Um, yeah. This is a super interesting question that we ask every single person that comes on. And it's about, um, is there a single metric that you could use to judge people in the sales team? Um, if so, what is that metric? Um, I don't think there is. I, I think that, you know, we always measure to, you know, quote attainment and to getting to the plan, which needs to be there. Um, I think that it's, again, it's a depends question. I think if you are a high velocity business, and we do have that here, that you measure a different set of metrics, you know, first response time, a lot of activity-based metrics, a lot of daily management, are we doing the things in the right order, the right cadence, the right volume that we need to drive the outcomes. If you're in much more of an upmarket or enterprise business, you're looking a little bit more at at, uh, ARPA, you're looking at kind of the big activities and and the... uh, the gates and and the important things that you should be doing within a sales cycle along a more traditional methodology of discovery and due diligence and and negotiations. Um, so I think that there is a set of metrics which could be common. And I think that depending on where your business is and what your goals are, uh, your goal could be to decrease ARPA or increase ARR or increase customer mm-hmm. count or increase retention or increase cross-sell. Uh, you can pull from that common set of, I think, metrics and use the appropriate ones. Um, we do evaluate those uh, in the big sense. Um, every year going into the year, we set up uh, what we call our rocks and we put KPIs against each one of them. And we typically leave them in place for the year and, and come up with the new set of the ones the year going forward. Um, so I don't think there's one. I think that there are, uh, again, a set of ones that you need to pull from based on what you want to accomplish. Yeah, sure. Awesome. Um, I'm just checking. I think we have a question. James Nolan's back again. Uh, here's one for you, Jeff. Do you ask reps to forecast and use that or use analytics and conversion rates to make your own forecast? Does that question make sense? It, it does. Um, absolutely. Uh, to me, forecasting um, is a lot of science, but it's also a lot of art. And the more ways that you can gather a forecast from uh, as many different methodologies and algorithms uh, and ways you can triangulate them 
and get a sense of where you're going to end. So I do want, and I mentioned before, clearly a system I use to get rep bottom-up roll-up forecasts. Mm-hmm. So I mean, each rep and each manager tell me what their forecast is, and that's a data point. I also do run some math and analytics in the back where I take a look at where we're starting the quarter in terms of open pipeline, mm-hmm. historically what we've uh, you know created within the quarter and, and closed, and those trends, and I draw some pacing formulas, see mm-hmm. where that ends up. Um, you know, I also take a look sometimes uh, a little bit deeper at the large deals we have and split them up between that and the velocity business, because sometimes that straight line or formulatic, formulaic pacing isn't great. Mm-hmm. Uh, where we end up. Uh, and then my finance team also does a, a high level forecast. So I basically have four different ways of trying yeah. to understand we may end up. I think they're important because when they converge, you feel much more confident that that's where the business may be ending up and you're Mm -hmm. taking the appropriate action. Where they don't converge and where they give you very different results is where you dig in to try to understand why. And it could be because you have one or two really, really large deals. So you've got to discount those appropriately. So I think the answer to that question is yes. I think the more ways that you can forecast and and get a projection using different assumptions and methodologies and methods uh, to see where that number is and then see how they kind of all fit together, I think is incredibly, incredibly important. Mm-hmm. Awesome. And final question. Um, is there someone else that you know or that you've worked with or learned from who has kind of taught you what you know or who you think is super outstanding in this field? Yeah, um, that's a hard question. I, I, I think, you know, me being around for as long as I have, I've met a ton of people along the way. And I think in generally networking and meeting folks and going to meetups is a great way to learn what they're doing and for them to learn what we're doing. Cause I think we're all in many ways tackling the same problems. So I have a network of folks that I rely on and, you know, ask questions and text all the time to see what's going on. Um, you know, I, I think that because when I started this, there was really no one to, to really teach me is, um, the mentors and the people I looked at were the people that um, gave me the opportunity to kind of jump in and solve these problems and then the empowerment to do so. The person at those two companies named Pat Quirk was one of them who really gave mm-hmm. me, um, you know, that chance to kind of go in and be an operations person and, and elevate its importance so that I can get things done. And then I would say Bill Bench, who was the, uh, you know, SVP of sales at Marketo when they were less than a million, who took him, you know, public and over 200 million, uh, who I'd known before I worked for him. But from him, I really learned, I think from as much as any leader, um, you know, high velocity SMB sales and how to manage a sales team uh, at scale. And, you know, both of those things are incredibly invaluable to me. Um, you know, and then, and then there's probably a long list of people I can rattle off. But uh, as I mentioned before, in this role, we always need to be learning. We're always going to find new problems that we have to figure out how to solve. So engage, uh, building a network, going to meetups, going to conferences that, that are really organized around sales ops. Even I've taken my team before and, and we've gone from other companies that are around the corner down oh, the block. Nice. Two teams have totally just met up and spent half a day together, you mm-hmm. know, to hear more stories. Um, so, yeah, keep learning. <laughs> um okay jeff we've come to the end let me just check the questions i think we've answered all of them josh yeah um i want to there are three things i've written down here jeff and i really liked first is 
and he's not just sales ops, he's kind of general, but fall in love with the problem, not the solution. I think that's, that keeps you focused on the reason why you're actually there, right? And not biased with some pretty spreadsheet or system okay, you made. And, and again, that quote is from our COO, and I think it's uh, great. So I will, not, will create it <laughs> further out there, but yeah. Not just saying quote from the COO. Um, sales operations people are not just doing spreadsheets. I like that one for its simplicity. Um, and then this is super interesting is you don't necessarily need the experience in sales to be effective at sales ops, but you need the passion for sales, passion for the deal. Yeah. Those are three things I really liked. Jeff, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me and thanks everyone for listening. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Sales Ops Demystified podcast. If you are listening on a podcast listening application, then please subscribe, rate, and review. And if you have any questions about the show, if you know a guest, or if you have any questions about sales operations, just hit me up at tomhunt at ebster.com. That's tomhunt at ebster.com.